Live Laugh Stuck is a self-indulgent podcast featuring a heart player encouraging you to be self-indulgent too. Welcome home. two of the last read stuck I did. Remember, all of the last read stuck in all of this read stuck was recorded in the same session. So it was a lot. Anyway, let's get on with Act 4, Part 6 of Read Stuck, End of Year 1, Page 1669. Locate Fourth Wall. Activate. Andrew Hussey. Engage in highly indulgent self-insertion into story. What? Oh, hell no. This is always such a terrible idea. Leave me alone. Andrew Hussey. Examine wall. You really wish your side of the wall had an off switch. Which is to say, I really wish my side of the wall had an off switch. Andrew Hussey. Forget it. Go back to work. Okay, you're just going to ask me to recap Homestuck, though. I don't know why you'd want to sit there and watch me type. This is going to be pretty long. Andrew Hussey. Recap first year of Homestuck. Homestuck began on April 13th, 2009, the 13th birthday of our chief protagonist and future boy Skylark, John Egbert. Three days prior, it was supposed to be the day he received the Esper beta in the mail, but it was running late. It showed up later that afternoon, and after overcoming a variety of domestic adversities, he retrieved the game along with a birthday package from his internet friend, Dave Strider. John soon established a game connection with another friend, Rose Lalonde, who'd spent the day badgering him about playing with her after unsuccessfully attempting to convince Dave to play. Upon connecting, Rose was able to manipulate John's environment, move his furniture around via cursor, and reconstructure the shape of his room. John was unable to do this to Rose's environment, however. He'd installed the client copy of the beta and required the server copy for that. The server copy was trapped in his dad's car, along with a birthday package from another friend, Jade Hardley. Jade messaged John inquiring about the package. As of this moment, neither her package nor the server copy has been recovered by John. Rose had also prepared a package for John, but had not mailed it yet. It still sits in her room. Dave's package contained the authentic stuffed bunny from Conair. In addition to allowing Rose to control John's environment, Esper provided an array of devices Rose deployed throughout John's house. These devices, used together, provided a system by which the players could manufacture any item using the code on the back of the item's catalog card if they gathered enough grist to pay for it. Later, they would learn to combine item codes to master the art of punch card alchemy, whereby items could be fused together in purpose and design. One device being activated began a countdown and released an entity called a Colonel Sprite. The countdown ticked down to the moment John's house would be struck by a meteor, destroying his neighborhood. To escape this demise, John had to use the devices to manufacture a special item that looked like a blue apple and take a bite of it in order to transport his entire house just before the impact to the safety of a mysterious dark realm 
where his house would situate itself atop a tall rock column high above a blanket of clouds. This realm is called the medium. Before he entered the medium, though, John and Rose prototyped his Colonel Sprite with a large Harlequin doll his dad got him for his birthday, transforming the Sprite to bear its likeness, including the ways the doll was disfigured from earlier hijinks. It had a slashed eye and one arm, and so too did the Sprite. When John entered the medium, the Sprite's Colonel hatched, thus imbuing all the enemies John and his friends would face with the properties of the Sprite. The lesser adversaries John faced first, Shale Imps, all wore Harlequin garbs. They became more powerful and more radically mutated with each successive pre-medium prototyping. After entering the medium, John's dad was kidnapped by imps. While John was looking for him, he accidentally prototyped the sprite with his grandmother's ashes, transforming it again. This prototyping had no effect on the enemies, since he was already in the medium and the colonel had already hatched. Instead, only the sprite was affected and it took the appearance, personality, and memories of his grandmother, becoming Nana Sprite, a game-supplied, albeit customized, guide for John. She explained aspects of the game, about Skye residing at the center of the medium, beyond seven gates floating directly above his house, and about an eternal timeless war, fought there between dark and light, one that light was always destined to lose. Rose, who'd been having frequent internet connection issues, lost her connection as she tried to lift John's car to retrieve the game in the package. The car fell into the abyss below. A storm caused her house to lose power along with its wireless internet connection. Her laptop was able to run on battery power for a time while she tapped into the wireless signal from the laboratory next door. When her laptop ran out of power, she had to overcome more family strife and endure a gift pony in the process go outside in the rain, and plug it into the small generator outside the mausoleum of her dead cat, Jaspers. She continued her session with John inside the mausoleum, while the meteor-sparked forest fire surrounding her house grew more intense. From the house, Rose's mom opened a secret passage in the mausoleum to help her escape. The passage led to the lab, next door, where Rose found a stable, portable source of power and internet for her computer. She also found a terminal projecting the impact times and locations for the millions of meteors presently bombarding the planet, along with all the other live sessions of the players around the world. She also found a little girl's room, a mutant kitten she named Vodka Mutini, and a cloning machine operating through the science of ectobiology. Its terminal was locked onto her cat Jasper's at whatever point in his life the user specified. She attempted to purify Jaspers from a moment in her early childhood before he whispered a secret to her, but doing so would have caused a paradox, so it purified, paradoxified, a pile of slime instead. The machine used the slime to create a fetal paradox clone of Jaspers in a glass tube. On the monitor, Jaspers then told young Rose the secret, then vanished, only to show up dead weeks later and put in the mausoleum for years until the present. Rose left the laboratory moments before it was destroyed by a meteor impact. She transportalized back to her mom's room, proceeded to her room to wait for Dave to connect with her and rescue her from the next imminent impact. Dave was charged with acquiring his bro's copy of the game to help Rose. Earlier, he had lost his copy of the game to a mishap involving a crow. It flew in his window, seized the game, and Dave accidentally impaled it with a sword, sending the crow in the game out the window onto a landing far below his apartment. He searched his bro's room, unable to find it, was briefly shadowed by Locale, and then found a note beckoning him to meet on the roof for confrontation. Dave and his bro dueled on the roof extensively, and Dave was thoroughly busted. Upon defeating Dave, his bro dropped the copies of the game and flew off on his rocket board into the sky.
Dafe used the copies to connect with Rose and quickly deployed the devices while her house was on fire, surrounded by flaming tornadoes and minutes away from being destroyed by a meteor. Rose prototyped her kernel sprite with Jaspers, specifically to understand the meaning of the secret he whispered to her years ago. She was advised to do this by Jade, who told her about the game in the first place. Dave then prototyped the kernel sprite again with the tentacled princess doll given to Rose on her birthday by her mom. Both of these prototypings would have an effect on the enemies once Rose entered the medium and the kernel hatched. Rose used the alchemeter to create this special item, for her, a purple wine bottle, which she needed to break to enter. She eventually did, transporting her house just before the meteor collided. The meteor left a crater. Over time, the site of the impact, a large white structure that looked like a wine bottle grew there, and the crater filled up with sand as the climate of the post-apocalyptic Earth gradually changed. The cork of that bottle was a large metal cylinder with an interior much like an advanced science station, with a variety of devices and monitors inside. 413 years after the meteor impact, the wayward vagabond walked through the desert and discovered this station. Inside, he found canned rations, a firefly he named Serenity, and a purifier, and four monitors hooked up to a keyboard. On one of the monitors was John, just after he'd entered the medium. WV could type commands to John directly, much as the readers of the story could type commands for the characters to follow. Most of John's actions upon entering the medium were authored by WV until he became preoccupied with other activities such as building a town out of cans, playing chess with cans, and drawing chalk murals depicting the cosmological arrangement of Skya, the medium, the light and dark planets known as Prospet and Durst, and the four planets the kids would each occupy upon entering the game called the Land of Wind and Shade, John, the Land of Light and Rain, Rose, the Land of Heat and Clockwork, Dave, and Jane's planet, which is yet to be seen. He also activated a countdown in the station, which caused it to blast out of the crater and fly to designated home coordinates. He also activated a countdown in the station, which caused it to blast out of the crater and fly to designated home coordinates. Along the way, it passed over the sand-filled crater that was the impact site for John's meteor on the other side of the continent. John's meteor had caused a giant white tree to grow in the crater. The trees grew an apple-like station from a branch, which fell into the sand. The peregrine mendicant found the station. After WV flew overhead, PM activated her station's homing feature as well, which caused it to fly to the same destination. Along the way, she used her terminal to attempt to command Jade, who from the perspective of the terminal had just arrived in the medium. This caused the terminal to explode for unknown reasons, leaving a hole in the station. One of the station's robotic worms recovered one of PM's falling mailboxes, and she befriended it after earlier slaying another one with her black regisword. WV landed at the site of the ancient frog ruins across the now dried up Pacific Ocean. The site was once the island where Jade lived, but nothing of the island remained except for the ruins. The mountain her house was on and the volcano next to it were replaced by a large empty chasm. PM landed shortly after WV and they met. They were confronted by the aimless renegade, who fired at them from the frog ruins with old weaponry he'd been hoarding, once belonging to Jade's grandpa. Millions of years ago, the frog ruins grew from a crater struck by a meteor that had emerged from an esper portal in space. Jade's radioactive, omnipotent, space-warping dog named Becquerel emerged from this crater as well. Jade's grandpa pioneered this island and built the house Jade lives in. Her grandpa has been dead for many years and stands stuffed in front of the fireplace. She has been looked after by her dog, who she calls Beck. She begins the day with several tasks to accomplish. 
to feed Beck and to retrieve a birthday package mailed by John. She radiates a stake and heads outside to the site where the package will be dropped. She knows it will be dropped there because one of the reminders she wears on her fingers jogs her memories about it. She wears them to keep track of the many things she knows about the future through dreams. She falls asleep frequently and spontaneously. When she sleeps, her dream self is awake and living on the moon that orbits the light planet Prospet. Prospet very closely orbits Skya, a huge sphere of blue sky and clouds, which Nana describes as a dormant crucible of unlimited creative potential. When Prospet's moon eclipses Skya, it drifts into Skya for a time, mingling with the clouds. Dream Jade then witnesses many past and future events in the clouds. While asleep, she is often confused about what is real and what isn't. When she wakes up, she pieces together future events from her memory of the cloud visions and from logs recorded by her dream bot. Her dream bot is a robotic surrogate that activates while she sleeps in her bed. It mimics the real world movements and actions of her dream self on the moon and records a video log of what she sees while dreaming. Prospect's moon has two towers of identical design and similar design to Jade's house. Dream Jade lives in one tower. Dream John lives in another. Dream John is still asleep, and John has no knowledge of the dream world, which is to say, the entire game session he would initiate on his 13th birthday. When he goes to sleep, instead of waking up on the moon as Jade does, he remains slumbering in his dream room, tormented by his subconscious. This torment is expressed when he sleepwalks and draws troubling scribbles on the walls in his room. When awake, he cannot see the scribbles as his subconscious suppresses his awareness of them. It is not until he has perception-altering revelation about his dad does he begin to see them. He initially believed they were new additions to his room, perhaps scrawled by imps. However, they were present long before, visible in his room while he prepared Jade's birthday package months ago. John prepared a package for each of his three friends whose 13th birthdays were December 1st, Jade, 3rd, Dave, and 4th, Rose. He gave Rose a knitting set and she took an intense interest in knitting. He gave Dave a pair of shades Ben Stiller wore in Starsky and Hutch, which he wore from then on, replacing the shades in the style his bro wore. He gave Jade a blue version of his own ghost shirt and some pumpkin seeds to help her replace the pumpkins that kept disappearing from her garden. But she did not receive this on the birthday John intended. She received it in the past, on her birthday when she was very young, causing her to take an interest in gardening in the first place, to take a liking to blue apparel, and to eventually befriend John over the internet and lead him, Rose, and Dave down a path where they would ultimately play this game together. Jade did retrieve his package in the present as planned, but immediately took it to another location where it disappeared. WV in the far future appear to fight it from that location on accident. The package contained further instructions for him. He was to bring it to PM and she was to use her station sendificator to send it to another place in time. After she did this, the package appeared in front of young Jade on her birthday. Jade orchestrated the sequence of events through knowledge of them by her cloud visions. She orchestrated similar events for the package she sent to John, plotting the circuitous route through time and space it was meant to follow. She again utilized the Exiles for help, while they were still in the medium. The Exiles, WV, PM, and AR, were all formerly agents of the kingdoms, before they were exiled by some means to post-apocalyptic Earth. AR, as an authority regulator in the land of wind and shade, discovered the package and the beta copy in John's wrecked car as he gave it a parking ticket. PM worked as a parcel mistress, recognized the package from a correspondence she had with Jade on Prospect some time ago, and recalled it must be delivered to John. 
AR would not relinquish the package, though he did give her the beta, which she delivered to the Pixis to satisfy the carved request in a mini tablet. John carved this tablet at the request of PM through a command terminal in the future. AR brought the package to Durst, where it ultimately wound up on the desk of Jack Noir. Jack is the Archagent of the Dark Kingdom, charged with overseeing affairs through his office's fenestrated wall portals and processing paperwork. He is forced to wear a silly garment in keeping with the prototyping themes by the Black Queen, an order he resentfully complies with. He oversaw the imprisonment of John's dad, who broke loose on multiple occasions. When Jack went to handle it personally, John's dad set Jack's hat on fire. In a surly act of gratitude, he released the prisoner. John's dad fled to the land of wind and shade, fought large monsters, got his hat dirty, and lost a shoe. He then carved tablet requests for new ones, which John filled via Pyxis, unaware of who requested them. PM followed AR to Durst in hopes of retrieving the package. After wandering around, she encountered the Black Queen on her throne. Both the Light and Dark Kingdoms have a king and a queen. The queens sit on a throne, on Prospet and Durst, respectively, ruling the planet. The Kinkas command armies on the battlefield, located at the center of Skaya. The queen takes on the attributes supplied by the prototypings due to the four-orbed ring she wears. When the ring is removed, the queen is restored to normal. PM showed the Black Queen a parking ticket she was pretending to deliver. The Black Queen directed her to Jack's office, where the ticket should be filed. PM met Jack and asked for the package. Jack proposed a deal and gave her a Black Regisword. If she would kill the White Queen and White King and bring him their crowns, he would give her the package. She accepted with little alternative. She then visited the White Queen on Prospect and explained the situation, with no intention of carrying out Jack's mission. The White Queen, understanding the futility of their situation and the need to recover the package, abdicated and gave PM her crown and her ring. PM was instructed to go find the White King, retrieve his crown, and receive further instruction on what to do with the ring to protect it. White Queen would then eventually exile herself to post-apocalyptic Earth. On post-apocalypse Earth, after AR fired on WV and PM from the ruins, he spotted WV's pumpkin, which WV had earlier appearified from Jade's house. He recognized the carving of Beck's silhouette on the pumpkin. Fearful of it, he surrendered. The three exiles soon became friends over a campfire and shared rations. WV and AR built Exile Town out of cans, mailboxes, and bullets. PM operated WV's station terminal to submit commands to John as he explored the land of wind and shade. In the sky, another station teleported and fell to the ground. It was shaped like an egg and originated from Dave's meteor impact site, in correspondence with the egg-shaped item he would use to enter the medium. Emerging from the station was the Windsept Quescent, formerly the White Queen. AR and WV sought to impress WQ by crafting a crown for her out of a mailbox. She refused the distinction, instead giving it to PM, who had successfully completed her mission to deliver Jade's packets to John in the distant past. The means by which she went about this have yet to be seen. John entered the land of Wind and Shade, Loas, by having Rose build up his house to the first gate, fighting through many imps and ogres with his powerful new alchemized weapons, and entering the gate. This took him to a location beneath the clouds, far below his house. The Loas turned out to be a large windy planet, full of dark terrain, incandescent trees, networks of pipes, and oily rivers. In addition to hosting more powerful adversaries, the land is occupied by friendly consorts, a race of salamanders. They help John understand the mythos of the land and inform him of the planet's persecution by a sleeping denizen, which is responsible for clogging the pipes with oil and trapping fireflies under the clouds.
Each planet has a sleeping denizen, which the players must first wake and then kill, in the course of their journey through the Seven Gates. Rose's planet, the land of light and rain, Lolar, is a multicolored ocean planet with white sandy islands and pink ruins and has a denizen responsible for killing all life in the water. Dave's planet, the land of heat and clockwork, Lohak, is a lava planet covered in industrial steel frame structures and turning gears and has a denizen of yet unknown qualities. Killing the denizen releases a huge grist horde buried in the core of the planet, which is then used to fuel a process known as the ultimate alchemy. Along the way, the kids are meant to learn about their destined roles in the quest, as they are of breath, John, seer of light, Rose, knight of time, Dave, and witch of space, Jade. Over the course of their quest, the dark kingdom will inevitably defeat the light kingdom. The black queen and king will take control and initiate the reckoning. This affects the belt of meteors called the Veil, which orbits far from Skya, between the four planets and Durse, and is host to various lab facilities used by the kingdoms. The reckoning causes the meteors to descend on Skya, ultimately destroying it unless the Black Queen and King can be defeated in time. Skya, however, buys time by opening defense portals to catch many of the meteors, redirecting them elsewhere in space and time. This is the generic template for the way the game is supposed to proceed. It can deviate from this model, however, depending on the actions of the players. In the details of the game mythology presented is unique to each group of players and their session. Long before John and his friends started playing the game, another group of players had been persistently trolling them, particularly Jade. They are furious about an action she will take that will cause major problems in the four kids' game session and inevitably lead to their defeat. Specifically, Jade will send a package to John, apparently containing a powerful weapon he will need later, but the package winds up in the hands of Jack Noir, leading to dire consequences. They allude to other things she will do that will lead to not only trouble for the four kids, but for the troll players as well. The trolls consist of 12 kids from an alien planet who went through the same process as John and his friends, escaping from the annihilation of their planet via meteors and into the medium to play the game. Their game session is entirely separate from that of the four kids. It has the same basic template, with its own Skya, Prospect, Durst, Vale, and a planet for each troll but separate game instances of these. They also have different instances of the same character templates, such as the kings and queens and agents like Jack Noir. The trolls have completed their game session with yet unknown results. They now reside on a meteor in their veil, sitting at the terminals controlling John and co. From their terminals, they can choose any point in the past or future of the kids to troll and observe what they're doing at that moment. As a group, their only stated objective is to harass the kids, which they do so haphazardly throughout different points of the kids' timeline. Though they can choose any point on the kids' timelines to talk, they are mostly resigned to the understanding that no matter what they do, they can't change the outcome of the kids' actions. The four most vociferous trolls so far have been Carcinogenesis, Gallows Calibrator, Grim Auxilitrix, and Adios Torridor, the other eight being Apocalypse Arisen, Twin Armageddons, Arsenic Catnip, Arachnid's Grip, Centaurus Testicle, Terminally Capricious, Caligus Aquarium, and Cuttlefish Color, each yet to be heard from. Carcinogenesis, CG, appears to have spearheaded the group's trolling campaign. While he was in the thick of his game session, the exile commanding him from the terminal in the apocalyptic future was Spade Slick. This is one difference between his game session and John's, who had WV as an exile commanding him. In CG's session, his version of Jack Noir became exiled along the way and took on the name Spade Slick. 
Three other agents were exiled, and the four of them formed a gang called the Midnight Crew, and spent years building up a dark city in the future wasteland of the Trolls' dead planet. Another difference between the Trolls' session is that at some point along the way, the Black Queen was also exiled, later joined a rival gang called the Felt, assumed special powers that made her highly inadvisable to kill, and came to be known as Snowman. It was not until Slick confronted the Felt in their mansion that he discovered the station terminal to command CG, and not before Snowman blinded him in one eye, severed his arm, and locked him in a vault. Each troll has a different trolling strategy and a different rhythm by which they hop around the kids' timelines to chat with them. CG's strategy, for the most part, was to begin trolling them at the very end of their adventure, the moment at which he was most angry with their actions, and then gradually work backwards, mostly talking to John. This proves to be mutually frustrating, though, as John knows less and less about the situation the further into the past CG goes. Similarly, the further into the future John progresses, the more he has the advantage over CG by knowledge of his future conversations with him, and vice versa. Over the course of the opposing directions of the two sides of the conversation, John learns more about the nature of the game and why they're being trolled, and in spite of hostility, they gradually befriend each other through an inevitably alluded to on both sides of the conversation. Earlier in the correspondence between John and CG, which is to say late for CG, CG discovers he needs to get in touch with Jade, who refuses to talk to him in that time period, so he delivers a message to her much earlier, months in the past, telling her she needs to contact him when she's in trouble. She will know to do this when her dreambot explodes in the future, an outcome that has not yet happened. The other two trolls, Grim Auxilitrix and Audios Torridor, GA and AT, have targeted only Rose and Dave thus far. GA has hopped arbitrarily back and forth in Rose's timeline to talk to her and is attempting to cultivate a friendship with her that seems rigged through a series of conversational time loops while seeking counsel from Dave on how to befriend her. AT sought counsel from Rose on how to troll Dave more effectively after getting severely counter-trolled by him. He is under the impression he rebounded nicely, though. Gallo's calibrator, GC, has stayed mostly linear in her trolling patterns and has done so under the guise of helping the kids on their quest. She convinces John to take a shortcut through his land, shows him the denizen's palace, leads him to warp back to his house, then shows him how to fix the faulty rocket pack he made earlier through an alchemy mishap. She tells him to use the rocket pack to fly up to the seventh gate, enter the denizen's palace, and kill it in his sleep. He complied with this and flew through the seventh gate in spite of reservations from Dave, who just entered the medium the moment before John took off. GC also assisted Rose just after she busted an ogre with ease. She counseled her on understanding her role as the seer of light and the meaning of the voice in her head as an exile issuing commands from a terminal. In her case, it was the exiled White Queen issuing commands from the egg-shaped station in the future. Since Dave is Rose's server player, the terminal station from Dave's impact site issues commands to Rose, just as the station at Rose's site, which WV found, issues commands to John, her client player. After conversing with GA, Rose found Jasper Sprite and interrogated him about the secret which she found so maddeningly mysterious years ago. He explained elements of the mythos of her land and how she'd need to learn to play the rain to produce the musical analog of a genetic code to reintroduce life into the ocean. In response to her question about his secret, he simply replied, Meow. She mistook this for more nonsense, but it was in fact the secret he told her years ago. The four-letter sequence, Meow, unlocked a genetic code in her subconscious, which she would spend years scrawling on her wall, 
using those letters in place of the typically used G-cat letters, while completely oblivious to the scrawlings and their meanings just as John was. As Jasper said, she would understand their meaning when her dream self wakes up. Rose's dream self lives in a tower on the moon of Durst. Dave's dream self lives on the same moon in the other tower. It was suggested by Rose's future self, who was fully awake in the tower, that Dave had already been awake in his tower all along without realizing it. This was suggested in a conversation she had in the future with Dave. It was an alternative future timeline not meant to be. This future timeline came about by this series of events. Dave was able to enter the medium by connecting with Jade as his server player. Jade got copies of the game from the frog ruins after she delivered John's package to her past self. She snuck into the ruins while Beck was asleep and retrieved the game from a Lotus time capsule which had been ticking down for millions of years. The game was Dave's copy from the future, the same one that fell out the window with the impaled crow. Once she got the game, the time capsule started ticking down again, set to expire 413 years later when the exiles are there. She drops some items in the ruins, leaving them there for AR to find, and leaving her base jammed in the elevator. Beck then found her there, took her back to her room, and grounded her there for the rest of the evening. She quickly helped Dave set up the game, upgrading his alchemeter heavily and crafting the special item he needed to enter the medium, a red egg, which needed to be incubated and hatched to activate. She prototyped his coral sprite with the impaled crow, which would affect the enemies later, including the Black Queen. The sprite built a nest on top of his apartment's antenna tower and stole the egg to incubate it for hours. A very large meteor was soon bearing down on his city. Dave then entered the medium through a series of unseen events. Jade was asleep, thus forbidden by Dave from interfering with his environment at all. Jade complied for fear of retribution. Dave was faced with the crow sprite, which appeared to be suggesting he prototype it again with the remains of Lil' Cal. Dave consulted with John on this, who was about to rocket up to the seventh gate. John had no advice and proceeded up through the gate against better judgment. Dave prototyped the sprite with Cal. John entered the palace, presumably found the denizen, and was easily killed by it, as was the intent of GC's trick on him. This meant John could not establish a connection with Jade to rescue her from the looming meteor, and Dave and Rose lost connection with her, presuming her dead. Dave and Rose spent the next four months in the medium, advancing as far as they could to collect information before Dave decided to travel back in time to change events. Dave used his timetables to go back to the moment he was about to prototype with Cal, both he and his past self strongly urged John not to go through the gate. John was reluctant at first, but soon reconsidered and flew down beneath the clouds. Future Dave then gave present Dave all his advanced gear and prototyped the crow sprite with himself to make Dave's sprite, thus serving as his own guide from the future. Before going back in time, Future Dave convinced Future Rose to go to sleep. He suggested her dream self would be unaltered by the timeline shift, and in her dream state she would remember the events from the future, when Dave went back, Rose's future dream self assumed the position of Rose's present dream self. Rose fell asleep, and on Dursa's moon, she instantly woke up. She then saw all the genetic scrawlings she did in meow letters and understood their meaning. Meanwhile, on Durst Below, the Black Queen again insisted that Jack Noir abide by the dress code. He refused, and the Queen threatened him. He picked up Jade's package to John, removed what was inside, and used it to slice her ring finger off. He then killed the Black Queen, put on the ring, and donned the full upgrade supplied by the three prototypings. He then became Jack's first Noir Crow, which is the name I just made up now. And then after that, you started watching me type in this ridiculous study I photoshopped for myself with my cool horse painting propped up in the background. Andrew Hussey. I didn't read any of that. Let's do something less boring. MSPA reader. 
Shut the hell up. Andrew Hussey. Retrieve arm from background. Huh? Oh, Cal, please, not now. Andrew Hussey, why don't you keep drawing Homestuck or something? Oh, but I don't merely draw Homestuck. Type equals equals greater than. I'm about to make a joke. Okay. I conjure this intrepid fantasy scape with tears bled from the wisdom-weary eyes of 50,000 imaginary magicians. I pull heavy drags from the brooms of inspiration with enchanted bellows marauded from a guild of churlish mythical dwarves. Vast bulbous riddle spiders push the silken strands of pure whimsy through hideous abdominal spinnerets, and it is that with which I weave this audacious cocoon of exquisite lies. And when it hatches, a great moth of titillation will awaken and roar and beat its wings, and the powder settling down will arrest the humors of an enormous, terrible old beggar, relaxing the vulturous, leathery vice grip he's fixed around your captive mind. Andrew Hussey. This is stupid. Stop being a wise ass and get drawing. All right. It won't be that exciting to watch, though. I'll pull up Photoshop again. Here's the file I was using for the fourth wall. What do you want me to draw? Andrew Hussey. Can you show us what's going on with John again? Sure. How about if I drag the content from one of the John files under the fourth wall layer so we can make a more graceful transition out of this ludicrous, highly self-disruptive self-insertion arc? Andrew Hussey. That sounds like a good idea. Oh, and then you can type something like switch walls view to show us what's going on with John. Here, I'll prepare the GIF file for that. It'll just take a few seconds. Go ahead. Say that. Switch walls view to show us what's going on with John. You decide that's entirely enough of that. If this website becomes any more self-aware in a playfully self-depreciating yet weirdly self-angrenizing manner, you're going to drown a bag of puppies in the sewer. That's it. I'm done. I'm done reading. I'm done reading for now. I'm done. Future me can talk. I don't want to talk anymore. And future me is back to say thank you for listening and I will see you all next week. Hi there. Are you a fan of audio dramas and other narrative podcasts? Or do you just like to hear people ramble about things they love? Assuming you said yes to any of those, you should check out my show, The Meta, a podcast about podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Episodes are released once a month. We cover shows like The Magnus Archives, Ars Paradoxica, Wolf 359, and many more. Once again, that's The Meta, a podcast about podcasts, part of the Paradox Podcast Network. This podcast's theme is Dirty Dirt Kenny and was created by Dami, who can be found on SoundCloud as Domino Thief. Shout out to my regulars and up on Patreon, Space Arby's. To become a patron and get episodes up to five days early, along with many other benefits, including but not limited to access to bloopers and original writing, physical merch, and the opportunity to get your questions and comments on the show, go to patreon.com slash sociallyanxiousdragon and sign up for as little as $1 a month. You can find links to that and more in the episode's description on the podcast's Twitter, Live Laugh Stuck, or on livelaughstuck.com. Please remember to rate this podcast on your app of choice and share with your friends. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to be a little selfish. <laughs>